This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, um, I've told the story before, but it's the story that you need to talk about. And I think um, maybe a little more insight. So, my grandmother, Baruch Hashem, lived, I think she was 94. Um, she was a very big Tadekista. She was a very plain Jewish woman from um, Germany. And when they left Germany to come to America in the, during the Holocaust, the Americans did not allow them they did not allow them to come to America. They had closed down the immigration. So they sent my, my mother, my uncle, and my grandmother and grandfather, and the people that were on that boat, they sent them to the Philippines. Because at that time, the Philippines was under American rule. So they said, we're not taking you, but we're sending you to the Philippines. The Philippines is not a nice place to live. Uh, they have monsoons, extremely poor. Filipinos were very, very poor. And... Um, so when they got there, my grandmother, the Holzers, is the last name, and the Hershouts is a very famous, you should never know him, um, do, the biggest doctor in breast cancer oncologist is Mr. is Dr. Hershout. So this Dr. Hershout was a little boy at the time. Also ended up, the Hershout family and the Holzer family ended up in, uh, in the Philippines. And they were kosher. And actually the Japanese didn't hate Jews. But they hated whites because they're yellow, Chinese yellow, whatever. They didn't like whites. And the Germans, of course, were very white. So um, they didn't really like my grand, my grandparents and my mother. And, and um, it was very hard. My mother um, had to l- learn the Japanese national anthem. There was no yeshivas. There were no schools. My mother actually was in a Catholic um, nunnery type of school. And um, she still to this day can, can say the... Japanese national anthem by heart and um, the reason they let my grandmother live was that the only thing she took out of Germany with her was a sewing machine she was always a very good very good at sewing and the Japanese used to have these pilots kamikaze pilots that would fly and into boats and blow up and they used to wear anyone who studied World War II they used to wear a scarf a bandana around their head with the rising sun. It's a famous thing. And then they used to tie around. They got into the plane. They knew they were going to die. They flew their planes into the boats. And the Americans couldn't defend that. It was planes just flying into the boats. My grandmother, my grandmother sewed those scarves. So, because she had the only sewing machine in the Philippines. So, she was taking it to America. But really, it ended up in the Philippines. It ended up saving their whole life. Because the Japanese needed her to sew these things. Anyway... The story with her is like this. So she went one night, she went to the mikvah. There was no mikvah in the, in the Philippines. So she had to go to the ocean. It was the only place you could go. When a woman goes to the mikvah, there has to be another woman with her to make sure that she goes down totally. So Mrs. Hershout and my grandmother, my grandmother was this big, was this tall. So these two, and Mrs. Hershout was also very short. So these two Jewish women, so my grandmother goes into the ocean, whatever, she comes out of the ocean, she gets dressed, and Mrs. Hershout, they start walking back, and the Japanese caught them. Now, they don't understand anything. First of all, they spoke German, they spoke Japanese. So they didn't understand each other at all. And second of all, why would two white women be coming out of the ocean in the middle of the night? So they, in their whatever, were saying that they were spies. And that in the old days, the way they used to send messages, they didn't have iPhones. They used to use light and do Morse code. You'd have a light, and then you'd, you'd make it dark, dark, you know, like flashes. And that's how you would... So they said that these two women... We're sending messages to the American boats out there in the ocean, 
That's it. We're killing them both. So they grab, they grab the two of them and they schlepped them to the captain, the Japanese captain. They're gonna, they're gonna shoot them both. The Japanese captain keeps asking them in Japanese, like, why, you know, what are you doing out there? And they kept answering in German. So he started to beat my grandmother. He had a, one of these sticks, one of these like police sticks. And my grandmother's a little teeny lady. Okay, the Japanese are not big people either. And he starts whacking her. And Hershaw starts talking. He starts whacking. He's whacking the two of them. Anyway, he beat her to a pulp. Mamish beat her to a pulp. And they didn't kill him. They, they let them go. But she was like really broken. And my grandmother told me when she was 90, she was in my house. And she told me, she said, she told me the story. And she said, I wish he would have hit me at least another 10, 15 times. So I said to her, Oma, because she was German, I said, Oma, I said, Oma, why would you want to get hit 10 more, 15 times? She said, every time he hit me, I said to Hashem, I did a mitzvah, every time he hit me, is another year, another year of life. He hit me again, I said, give me another year of life. She said, I wish I would have asked for another 15 years of life. Why did he have to stop hitting me? That was my grandmother. So I was thinking about it, I was like, imagine in our generation if something like that happened. It would be like, I don't understand, I did a mitzvah, I'm religious, look, they punished me, he's hitting me, there's no God, I'm an atheist, I'm going to fight against everything, I'm never going to the mikvah again, I'm done, have a good day, I'm putting on my pants, how can I do this? That's our generation. Oh, we'd be complaining, forget about it. My grandmother is saying like, why did they hit me 15 more times? As she's getting hit, Instead of saying, I don't understand, I went to the mikvah and I'm getting hit, you punish me for going to the mikvah, she's saying, good, every time he hits me, instead of, I'm not going to let it hurt me, because if every time he hits me, I'm getting another year of life, it's great getting hit. So she turned the whole thing around. Those, were the, those, were, those, those, those people were made out of a whole different thing than we're made out of. It's a true story, she told me, and, and she was Taka Shtak, because she was a Heber Kaddish of Washington Heights until she was 90. She could hardly see. And finally, they didn't know how to break it to her. And they said to her, Mrs. Holzer, I think it's time to retire from the Hebra Kadisha. And she went crazy. No, I'm young, I can do. Why can't, why are you pushing me out? She could not, she was so depressed after that. She said, I can't believe it. Zachariah, I mean, could you believe it? They sent me out of the Hebra Kadisha. I said, oh my, you're 90 years old. You're 90 years old. Whoa, what's it? I'm young, I'm young, I'm young. So anyway. The Eli Nishmas, my, the shir tonight is Eli Nishmas, my grandmother. And it's, it's just a, it's just, it's just amazing that while you're getting hit, your, your kavani is, give me another year, give me another year, Hashem, instead of being angry and giving up everything. And really we talked about this many times that, you know, everyone gets hit in life. Everyone goes through trauma, everyone goes through pain. And you have two, it's not your fault and you didn't choose it. But you only have two choices and the two choices is either to, to take the pain and step in and use it to grow and use it to help others or to step out and yeah, I don't want to be Jewish anymore look what Hashem's doing to me and Baruch Hashem, she stepped in and um, I, 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 I was very, very close to her and um, she was a very stark a very firm woman who really came from a very mod- not a modern, but a very regular very, very regular home okay, anyway so that was my grandmother now I'll tell you a story about another grandmother so I was in Florida last week, and um, I picked up this paper in one of the Jewish restaurants, and it's called The Real Florida Jewish Directory. The reason I picked it up is it has all the shuls, all the minyanim, all the hotel, Jewish restaurants and everything else, and I picked it up, and I was leafing through it, and I came across a story 
why it's in the Jewish directory, I have no idea. But I came across a story that I want to, I want to um, share with you. So I'm going to read it from inside. I know I lose some people who are a little ADD when I do this, but I have to read you word for word. So this is a story. It's an amazing story. One day a man saw an old lady stranded at the side of the road, but even in the dim light of day he could see she needed help. So he pulled in front of her Mercedes and got out. His Pontiac was still sputtering when he approached her. Even with a smile on his face, she was very worried. No one had stopped to help her for the last hour. Was he going to hurt her? He didn't look safe. He looked poor and hungry. He could see that she was very frightened, standing out there in the cold. He knew how she felt. It was that chill which only fear can put in you. He said, I'm here to help you, ma'am. Don't worry. I'm not here to hurt you. Why don't you wait in the car where it's warm? Where it's warm? By the way, my name is Eric Smith. Well, all she had was a flat tire. But for an old lady, that was bad enough. Eric crawled under the car, looking for a place to put the jack, skidding his knuckles. Soon he was able to change the tire, but he had gotten hurt and dirty. You know, he had gotten dirty and his hands hurt. As he was tightening the lug nuts, she rolled down the window and began to talk to him. She told him that she was from St. Louis and was only passing through. She couldn't thank him enough for coming to her aid. Eric just smiled. He put the, t- the flat tire and he closed the trunk. The lady asked, how much do I owe you? Any amount, whatever you want, would have been right with her. She already imagined all the awful things that could have happened had he not stopped. Eric never thought twice about being paid. This was not a job to him. This was helping someone in need. And God knows there were plenty who had given him a hand when he was in need in the past. He had lived his whole life that way, but it never occurred to him to act any other way. He told her if she really wants to pay him back, the next time she saw someone who needed help, she she should give that person the assistance they needed. And Eric said, and when you do this, please think of me. He waited until she started the car and drove off. It had been a cold and depressing day, but he felt good as he headed for home, disappearing into the twilight. A few miles down the road, the lady saw a small cafe. She went in to grab a bite of eat and take the chill off before she made the last leg of her trip. It was a dingy-looking restaurant. Outside, there were two old gas pumps. The whole scene was unfamiliar to her. The waitress came over and brought a clean towel to wipe her wet hair. She had a sweet smile, one that even being on her feet for the whole day couldn't erase. The lady noticed that the waitress was nearly eight months pregnant, but she never let the strain and aches change her attitude. The old lady wondered how someone who had so little could be so giving to a stranger. Then she remembered Eric. After the lady finished her meal, she paid with a $100 bill. The waitress quickly went to get change for her, but the old lady had slipped right out the door. She was gone by the time the waitress came back. The waitress wondered where the lady could be. Then she noticed something written on the napkin. There were tears in her eyes when she read what the lady wrote. You don't owe me anything. I have been there too. Somebody once helped me out the way I'm helping you. If you really want to pay me back, here is what you do. Do not let this chain of love end with you. Under the napkin were four more $100 bills. Well, there were tables to clear, sugar bowls to fill, and people to serve, but the waitress made it through another day. That night, when she got home from work and climbed into bed, she was thinking about the money and what the lady had written. How could that lady have known how much she and her husband needed this money? With the baby due next month, it was going to be very, very hard. She knew how worried her husband was, and as he lay sleeping next to her, she gave him a hug and whispered soft and low, Everything's going to be all right. Don't worry. I love you, Eric Smith. There's an old saying, 
What goes around comes around. Let this light shine. God works in mysterious ways and sometimes puts people in our lives for a reason. I read the story. I said I had to read the story. Amazing. Amazing how Hashem works. Amazing how Hashem works. So anyway, you don't understand that I just happened to pick up this book. So it was like Hashem wanted me to see this, to be able to read this to everyone else. You think you do something good, it doesn't come back. It comes back. It may not come back to you. It'll come back to your children. It'll come back to your children. It'll come back to your grandchildren. So that's that story. Okay. Now I'll tell you something very interesting that happened to me in Costa Rica. So two weeks ago, I was by the Chavez Project in Costa Rica. Now, Costa Rica, Central America, where they all speak Spanish and I speak English, it was great because I got up to speak. I didn't know what they were, what they were saying. They didn't know what I was saying. It was the, ha- the best speech I ever gave in my life. Everybody was clapping, right? Because they didn't, they didn't understand English. But it was, it was really nice. Now in Costa Rica, there are 20, there are 2,000 Jews total. On my block in Flatbush, there are 2,000 Jews, okay? The whole country, Costa Rica, there's 2,000 Jews. Of the 2,000 Jews, there are 20 Jewish people, not families, 20 Jewish people that are Orthodox. None, none of the people in Costa Rica, most of them are not Orthodox. At the Shabbos project, for that Shabbaton, 550 people came. So one quarter of all the people in Costa Rica, one quarter came to the Shabbos project. So it was very, I'm kidding about the Spanish. I spoke in English, they understood English, it was beautiful, it was amazing, it was fantastic. Mati Shabbos, we had a Malava Malka. This man comes over to me, now he's totally not religious, his wife is totally not religious. This man comes over to me and says, Rabbi, could I tell you a story? Um, would you like, do you ever repeat stories? I'm like, nah. <laughs> I never repeat stories. But you know what? Tell me the story. So he says, I, I want to tell you the story of what happened to me. He says, so I'm not religious, and my wife's not religious. We don't really keep anything much. Um, he says, so I went, I fly a lot. I went to um, Chile. He went to Chile, and he said, I went to Chile, and I went, I went on business right before the holiday of Sukkot. He says, my wife, totally not religious, always wanted a sukkah. We're married 20 years. She saw, you know, a sukkah once, and she really wanted to have it, but we never, we never, you know, we don't, we don't eat in the sukkah, we don't eat kosher. So, like, he said, and for some reason this past year, on, a, on Friday before sukkah, sukkah was Sunday night, on Friday before Sukkot, um, she got into her head, she wants a sukkah this year. She didn't tell me anything. She went to her friend, she has an orthodox friend, and she said, do you think I can build a sukkah in one day, Sunday, because... It was already Shabbos, and you can't build a sukkah for Shabbos. So she said, the friend said, yeah, I'll help you with it. To make a long story short, Sunday they built a sukkah. Her and her friend, and she put some nice stuff in it. And then she shocked her husband, and she sent him a picture of the sukkah. And he said, where is the sukkah? We're like, who, you know, the rabbi's sukkah? She goes, no, I built us a sukkah. He was like, he said, I was like, so proud. He said, they had nothing. He was like, I was so proud. And I decided I was supposed to come home. Like in a week, I decided I'm going to come home. It was Sunday. I decided I'm going to come home Thursday because I want to sit in my sukkah and make a blessing. Okay, beautiful. He says, I get on the, he said, now he tells me, Rabbi, you don't understand. It's very Kabbalistic, but I have guardian angels. I have angels that are always working with me and I have miracles happening to me all the time. I'm like, okay. Um, he says, so I get on, he says, I come, I'm, I'm in, uh, I'm in Chile, 
and I want to come home now, right? So I want to be home for Thursday. She says, I always fly the same airline. I don't know which airline or whatever it is. He says, they like me. I have a relationship. He says, I get to the airport an hour and a half before the flight. Now, it's international because Chile and, and, and Costa Rica are not the same country. He says, I get to the, to, the, to the counter, and the lady says, sorry, flight closed. He says, flight closed. It's an hour and a half before. What are you talking about? Flight closed. So... He goes to, he's the type of guy that doesn't take no for an answer. He goes to the supervisor, the supervisor. Okay, we'll put you on the plane. But you don't have luggage. He goes, no, no, I have luggage. I have three suitcases. Oh, no, suitcases are loaded. You can't. They're going to miss the plane. Da, 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 da. He goes, listen, I need to be home. And the reason he was going home was to eat in that sukkah. Not religious man. Eat in that sukkah on Thursday. So they fly from Chile to I don't know where. It stops there. Then they switch planes. And they go from wherever that stops, and they go to Costa Rica. He does this all the time. Anyway, he's fighting, he's fighting, he's fighting. Finally, he gets on. They say he can get on the plane. He gets on the plane. And he's thinking the whole time. He's telling me, I'm thinking the whole time, what's the problem with my guardian angels? Why did they do this? Like, why weren't, where were they? Like, I always get on the plane. Why, why were they trying to hold me back from the plane? I don't know. You know, what's up with them? Okay. He gets on the plane. They're flying. They're taking off. They're flying a little bit. And they get hit by lightning. Now, Lightning hits planes many times, but if it hits the plane in the engine, have a nice day. Say Tzil Sederach, Shema Yisrael, that's it. You're done. Because the plane usually blows up. He says, this lightning hit the plane and the, the engine, you saw this huge like fire come out of the engine and the plane dropped like 10,000 feet in two seconds. He said people were crossing themselves, they were bending down on the floor praying, it was over. He said, and the, all of a sudden the plane like straightened out and the pilot brought it back up. He said, the pilot didn't say one word. Stewardesses didn't say one word. People were throwing up. People were white. Everyone was freaking out. Okay? He says, and if I, it lands. It lands. He goes into the next plane. He tells the pilot, you know, I just got off a plane. The lightning hit the engine. The guy pilot said, lightning hit the engine and you didn't crash. You should know you just had one of the biggest miracles. Because if it hits the engine, you're not, it, it, the plane's not making it. So he's sitting on the plane. He's like, a miracle. I had a miracle. Fine. He comes home, and this is what he's telling me in the story. He says, I come home, and I, I, my wife says, how was it? Whatever. He tells her, we got hit by lightning, and, and the other pilot said it was a miracle. And he said, and I, I didn't understand why those, my guardian angels didn't want me on the plane, whatever it is. He says, but Rabbi, that's not the point. I want to tell you why I was saved. I said, wow, you know why you were saved? Tell me why you were saved. He said, that day, my, there was someone died in Costa Rica. And they went to bury him in the Basak Forest, in the, in the graveyard. And the, the men went, I guess it's a minute, I don't know, whatever it is. The men went, and the women stayed behind. I guess they were, they were burying a man. She said, and I was standing there, and there was a Tehillim. There was a Tehillim in Spanish, Hebrew and Spanish. Um, and I opened up the Tehillim, and I started, I figured I can't go to the grave. Let me say a prayer for the dead person. And I started reading Tehillim in Spanish. He says, Rabbi, you're not going to believe it. I asked my wife, when were you reading the Tehillim? And she said, the exact time that I was on that plane, that I got hit by lightning, that's when she was reading the Tehillim. My wife's Tehillim saved my life. Isn't that an amazing story, Rabbi? I'm like, I don't want to blow your bubble. I don't want to bust your bubble. But your wife's Tehillim did not save your life. And his wife's standing there. She goes, what do you mean? I said, I can't say for sure, 
that a Tehillim saved your life. But I could say for sure that the Gemara says, right? And the Torah says, Shluach mitzvah enu nezakin. When someone's going to do a mitzvah, you're guaranteed not to get hurt. Nothing can hurt you. When you go to do, when you go back, you can get hurt. When you go to do a mitzvah, you cannot get hurt. I said, you were going home to make a bracha in your sukkah. So you are a shliach mitzvah. What saved you, your wife to is great. And I, I don't know what that does in Shemayim. But what saved you was, not your wife's Tehillim, but your wife's sukkah. And his wife is staying there and she goes, now I understand. Rabbi, I wanted to build a sukkah for 20 years. I said, nah, I'm not religious, it doesn't mean anything. But this year, for some reason, it was Friday already. And Sunday night was the holiday. And I, I just could not get it out of my mind. I must build a sukkah. And I thought I was building it. Just so, now I understand. I built a sukkah to save my husband's life. So I said to him, it wasn't your guardian angels that were trying to stop you from getting on the plane. The one that was trying to stop you from getting on the plane was the angel of death. Because had you not been on that plane, those other people would not have been saved. The whole reason that the plane was saved was because you were on that plane and you could not be hurt because you were going to do a mitzvah. So the ones that were trying, the one that was trying to stop you wasn't your guardian angel. The one that was trying to stop you from getting on that plane was the Malachim Abbas. I said, and you should know that your wife didn't only save you, but she saved every person on that plane. The reason I'm telling you this is, imagine a person who doesn't eat kosher, a person who doesn't keep Shabbos, a person who doesn't keep Taras and Meshpacha, a Jew in Costa Rica that keeps nothing, nothing. Hashem saved his life because his wife built a sukkah and he had in mind that he wants to make a blessing. Who knows what the blessing would be? He wants to make a blessing in the sukkah. How surely us, right? How surely people who do mitzvahs, right? How, how Hashem watches every little teeny thing. The plane got hit by, by lightning, but he couldn't die because his wife built a sukkah for 20 years she wanted to do, but she didn't do it. But this year she did it. Everything, a person has to realize that everything in life is written the, the whole, the whole a person's life, every little nudge, you, you think you want to do a mitzvah and you think you don't understand why you want to do the mitzvah, there's a reason. Everything that a person, all those feelings, the problem is that many times we push those feelings down. We have this feeling, I want to change. I, I went to a shir, whatever it is, I want to change, right? And you really want to change. You don't, I don't really know why I want to change, but I really want to change. And then you don't change, right? She, at the end of the day, she, she had the choice to build a sukkah. She could have said, Sunday's too late to build a sukkah. You told me to build a sukkah Sunday. How am I going to build a sukkah on Sunday? But she had this drive. Was, they were pushing her. You have to listen to that voice in your head. Ended up saving his life. So he, uh, I changed the whole story. I told him that he can go to Torah anytime and listen to it. Um, I, changed, I changed his whole story. He thought it was Tehillim. Again, it might have been the Tehillim. I don't know. But the Shluch Mitzvah, and it was like a person goes to do a mitzvah, they cannot be hurt. Okay. Um, another thought that I want to talk about, which I think is very, very important. And then we'll do the parsha. So I was by a funeral yesterday of a, of a cousin of mine that passed away. We, we, we were saying to him for, for a while. She was 54 years old. And um, so that every speaker got up and said, her name was Ruchama Miriam Sarah. Right, Ruchama Miriam Sarah Bas Tzivya. So, so every speaker got up and said that what an amazing person, she was an amazing person, that, that she was suffering so much and she accepted it. Gamzul Taiva. 
she accepted it. She said it's from Hashem, and that's it. It's, uh, uh, you have to accept it. What comes from Hashem, which is amazing. But I want to I want to say a different thought. Many times when we're in pain, right, and we're going through hard times, we're like, "Listen, what can I do? It's it's from Hashem, and uh, you know, uh, you, you, it's what He wants, and I accept that." Gamzulutayva, so to say. But people, when good things are happening, never say it's from Hashem. In other words, to, to, to go through pain and, 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 and you talk to Tzedek, so if you go through pain and you say it's from Hashem and I accept it, but, but who, when they do well, say it's from Hashem and I accept it? In, in other words, it's much harder. It's much harder to, to realize that God's in your life and to accept Him when things are going good. Nobody walks around and says, this person was amazing. You know why? Because this person, every time something good happened to them, they said it's from Hashem. It's always, this person went through so much pain, they're amazing, they didn't, and, and she was talking to niggas, don't get me wrong, and they didn't complain, they accepted it from Hashem, but also that you get up in the morning and that you smell and you can see and all these other things, right, those are, those are, those are things that you have to also say, I accept it from Hashem, I accept it. You have to accept the goodness in life, not just accept what's bad and say, oh, that's from Hashem, and what's good is like, okay, that's nature, hey, flower smell, that's nature, you know, uh, I make money, I'm smart, uh, you know, I got a good shidduch. I got married early. I'm pretty. That's not, that's not, that's, to realize that that's not what it's about. To realize that it has nothing to do with being pretty. It has nothing to do with being smart. But that, that shidduch is from Hashem and, and beauty is from Hashem and all this is from Hashem on the positive side. Nobody does. Nobody does that. I mean, I'm not nobody, but it's very hard to do. And I think that, that maybe if we do that, we'll have more positive in our life. Instead of just recognizing Hashem when you get a smack. So then you have to get smacked to recognize Hashem, right? Um, to recognize Hashem when things are good, then you'll get more good. If, if you recognize me when things are good, then you don't have to, uh, then, then I don't have to do, I don't have to hurt you to make you turn around and look at me and know that I'm here. So if a, if a person does it from that point of view, it's like, oh, thank you Hashem, I woke up. Thank you Hashem, had a good meeting today. Thank you Hashem, I feel good. Thank you Hashem for that great music. I just heard a great song. I really love it very, very much. And if, if, if your connection is from the positive, you don't need the negative. I think that's something that we don't think about at all. I think that's something if we turn that switch and we live our life by being thankful for the good, you won't have bad. You won't get the patch. Right? You get the kiss. You don't need the patch. You don't need a patch to know that you have a parent. You get a kiss and you know that you have a parent. So I think that's something that, that it just, when I was listening to the speeches, and she talked about this, I think it's, don't get me wrong, I was like, but, you know, also accepting what's, and she did accept, what's good in your life, to accept that, that that's, that that's from Hashem, that's something we just don't do, we just, when, when we're, when we're, you know, someone's heard, you know, what should I do, it's, it's, it's bashert, you know, stuff bad happens, it's bashert, what can I do, you know, what should I say, but you have to say that when it's good, it's bashert, it's great, something good happened, it's bashert, thank you Hashem. The, the more you do that, the less negative you need to have. Okay. This week's Parsha. Okay, so very, very fascinating things happened this week's Parsha. I'm going to go back to, um, I'm going to go back to a Chidah. The Chidah talks about, first of all, I think I spoke about this two years ago. I, I probably got the most emails ever in my life after I said this. Um, it says the following. So this week, uh, Ramavinu um, um, buys the Marasamach Pela. First of all, very interesting point. The Gemara in Kedushin, where it talks about marriage, so a person, a man, 
when he gets married, he's kinda his wife. He he it's sort of like a business thing. She becomes his. He makes a Kenyan. I don't know how say Kenyan in English. A what? An acquisition, right. So he makes his acquisition, so it's he puts the ring on your finger, right? Harry Atmakudeshly. It has to be worth a shovel proof, it has to be worth a penny, and with that he he acquires you. Now, where do we learn that? We learn that from Kicha Kicha Mistay Ephron. By a woman it says Kiyikach Ish as Isha, when a man takes a woman. And in this week's passion, I have a chumash in front of me, it says that Avram Avinu bought the Marasamachpela, uses the word Yikach. So the Gemara says, just like by the Marasamachpela, the word Yikach is, Kicha is, Yikach is used, and, and by, the, by getting married, right, and by, by Marasamachpela, it was an acquisition, he bought something. And then it says the same word Yikach by getting married, so we learn from that, that when you marry a woman, you have to acquire her. How do you acquire her? With a ring that's worth at least a penny. Okay? So the rabbis ask, I don't understand. Of all the places in the Torah that you want to learn about a, a kedusha, a marriage, this guy Ephron was the lowest guy. He was a ganaf. He talked a lot and did a little. He told Abraham Avinu, oh, for you, I'll give it to you for free. Then Abraham said, no, I don't want anything for free. He charged him 400, he charged him, I don't know, they figured out it's like over a million dollars today, whatever. He charged him a crazy amount of money, right? So he talked a lot, but he did a little. Abraham Avinu was just the opposite. He said, come, I'll give you a little water, I'll give you a little bread. When the Malachim came, he gave him a whole meal, seven course meal. So, why would I want to learn marriage from a low life like Ephron? Right? You don't want your husband to talk a lot, to talk a lot and do a little. Just the opposite. You want him to talk a little and do a lot. So why do we learn it from him? So Rabbi said something unbelievable. He said, why do we learn it from Ephron? Because Abraham Avinu knew who was in the Mars of Machpelah. He knew that Adam and Chava were buried in the Mars of Machpelah. He also knew that if he buys the Mars of Machpelah, it's going to be for him, for, the, for, you know, for, for, Abraham, for Yitzchak, for Yaakov. So he knew this was like an amazing piece of property to buy, right? In fact, in Eretz Yisrael this year, the whole Chevron, they all move in by, by the Mars of Machpelah because this is the week that he bought it. So, Abraham Avinu walked away from the deal <coughs> saying, 400 silver dollars, this guy thinks he beat me? Oh my God, I got the best deal, best deal forever. This is going to be for us forever. Other Machava buried there. You could smell Ganeiden there, right? Tchis HaMesim, Tchis HaMesim, the Gemara says, Tchis HaMesim starts from the Marasa Machpelah, right? So he knew he got the best deal in the world. This guy thinks he ripped me off. I know that I got a great deal. I ripped him off. Ephraim walks away from the deal thinking, oh my God, it's a stupid cave in the middle of a field. I just ripped this Jew off. I got 400 silver dollars. Ephraim walked away, thought, I got the best deal I ever did in real estate. Avram walked away thinking, oh my gosh, I got the best deal. I bought the Marshmallow Payload for only $400. So each one walked away from the deal thinking he got the Metsia. Avram thought he got the Metsia. I got this for nothing. Everyone thought, oh my, I got the Metziah, I made so much money on it. So each one walked away from the deal thinking that he got the best of the deal. So the Chazal say that where should you learn marriage from? The best place to learn marriage from is a place where both people, the acquirer and the acquired, believe that they got the best of the deal. So the husband's walking out of the marriage saying, oh my God, I got the best girl in the world. The woman's saying, what? I got the best guy in the world. And each one walks away thinking they got the best deal. That's a marriage. 
when each one walks out of it and says, I got the best friend in the mail. Look what I got. I got this husband. He's a superstar. And the husband's like, I'm nothing. Look what I got. I got this girl. She's a superstar. So the best place to learn kicha kicha, to learn the kinyan of, in a marriage, is from the story of Ephron, where both the acquirer and the acquired, the man and the woman, so to say, in a kedushin, both walked away thinking they got the best deal. That's how you have to feel. You, if you feel that, the, that you're doing the man a favor, that he got a great deal, that he got you, and he's figuring, oh my gosh, I can't believe she got me, right? Because she got a great deal. That's not a marriage that's going to work. Each one of them has to think that, wow, look what I got. That's a good marriage. So that's why the Gemara learns it specifically from, from Ephraim. Okay, anyway, so I want to tell you a chidah, that's mind-boggling, but I think a guy in my share last night had Ruach HaKodesh. Mamash Ruach HaKodesh, he said something at the end of the share, which didn't make the tape because we were already in shul, which was mind-boggling. I, tell you, I want to tell you a, a chidah in this week's parasha, which if you repeat it at home, they will tell you that you do not know what you're talking about, and then you're going to prove it to them, and they're going to be like, what? It's impossible. Who, how can you say that? So this is what it says in the chidah. The chidah says the following. El Mo'ara Sedeh HaMachpelah, he bought... The, he bought the Sedeh um, HaMachpelah. So he says the following. If you look at the words, Mu'aras Sedeh HaMachpelah, which is in the passage. So Mu'aras is a mem. The first letter of Mu'aras is a mem. The first letter of Sadeh is a shin. And the first letter of HaMachpelah, HaMachpelah is a hey. Why? It should have said Mu'aras Sadeh HaMachpelah. What's HaMachpelah? So he says, Rosh Tevais Moshe. Okay, now what does Moshe Rabbeinu have to do with the Marasamachpel in Hebron? Who's buried in the Marasamachpel in Hebron? Adam and Chava, Avram and Sarah, Yitzchak and Rivka, and Yaakov and Leah, and the head of, of Esav. Okay? He says the following. And if you want to write this down, because people are not going to believe you, he brings it down from a Yalkut Ruveni in Pasha's Oysa Bracha, and it says, the Moshe Rabbeinu, Allah HaShalom, Vitzipora. Moshe Rabbeinu and his wife, Tzipora, Nigmuru, are buried, B'Mu'ara Samachpela. Now, I don't know how many women here ever went to Mu'ara Samachpela, but there's no, nothing in Mu'ara Samachpela that says Moshe and Tzipora. The Chidah says that somewhere in the Mu'ara Samachpela, Moshe and his wife are buried, Eitzel Avois Ha'Elam, next to the Avois. Now, we have a huge problem with this. We have two huge problems with this. Number one, number one, <coughs> this is Zayar that says that the Ma'arza Machpelah will never allow anyone besides the four Zugim, the four couples, anyone tries to get buried in there, it will spit them out. Nobody else besides those four couples. So going to the Zayar, how can Moshe Rabbeinu be there? Number one. Okay. Number two says, Velo Yada, the Torah says in Pashas Vezayi Sabracha, Nobody will ever know where Moshe Rabbeinu is buried. But if you tell me he's buried in the Mount of Machpelah, then we do know. But the Torah says you'll never know where he's buried. He's got a big problem here. So he says this. He says, Umash Amu Kiras Arba. It said that, that the Mount of Machpelah was in Kir Arba. Why was it called Kiras Arba? To this day, right? Next to Hebron, there's a whole Jewish place, settlement called Kiras Arba. Why is it called Kiras Arba? Because there were Arba Zugos. There were four couples, Shinigrusham, that were buried there. So, how could this be? So he explains on the bottom, and he says that Kiris Abba means that four people, four, four couples died and they were buried there. They died there and they were buried there. He says, but Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't part of that because he didn't die there. 
he did not die there. He died in Harnavo. And she died somewhere else in Pura. They were brought there. Ah, they were brought there, but they weren't, they weren't buried there. That's where they died. So therefore, they're not included in the Kiris Abba. Kiris Abba is talking about the four couples that died in Hebron and were buried in Hebron. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't, didn't die in Hebron. He was brought there. Therefore, he's not considered in the Kiris Abba. Okay. But there's still big kasha here. And the big question is that there were only four, there were only four couples. So, if Moshe Rabbeinu was buried there, then there were five couples. And it doesn't say there were five couples. It says there were four couples. And that's why it was called Kiris Abra. So this is a very big problem. That's a very big chiddush chidah. If you ask anyone where Moshe Rabbeinu is, I promise you, if they didn't learn this chidah, they'll tell you he's buried in a mountain and nobody knows where he's buried. And you're going to say, it's not true. I learned that he's buried, he's buried in, in the Mars of Achpela. They will tell you, whoever rabbi told you that, he's either reform or who knows what. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And you're going to say, really? Chidah. Pashish Chayisara, Perichov Dalit, check it out. Okay, now last time I said this, I got hundreds of emails from very learned Rosh Hashivas and people, rabbis, who said to me, where did you get this from? Moshe Rabbeinu buried the Mars of Like, what are you talking about? And I had to send them copies of the Chidah. So, <coughs> last night, so I gave a shir, and we talked about, we talked about, which I've talked about over here, but it's brought down in this week's, in this week's parasha. The Chidot says like this. He says that you have to know what's going on over here. So there's a whole thing of Gilgulim. He says the following. First of all, it's very hard to understand this Rashi. I know that we all learned this in school. I was never, I never understood this. It was very hard to be macabre this. It says that Avram Avinu, I wish I didn't have a Chumash here. Um, Avram Avinu, it says, whatever, right? And then it says, he came, it says that she lived 127 years, and Avram came to be, to eulogize her. How did he know that she was dead? It doesn't say anyone here in the Torah that someone came and told Avram Avinu, your wife died, so then he, you tell him your wife died, then he comes to eulogize her. It seems to be that he knew she was dead. By Yavo, he came to the place. He came to say a eulogy. If he came to say a eulogy, he meant he knew that she was dead. How did Abraham Avinu know she was dead? It doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that, Abraham, that someone told Abraham Avinu that Sarah died. How did he know that Sarah died? Right? Huh? He, it doesn't say that Ruch HaKodesh. It doesn't say. Anyway, also, I don't know if he had Ruch HaKodesh. It's something sad. You know, Ruch HaKodesh. Whatever. It could be he had Ruch HaKodesh, but we're going to come with... Here's an unbelievable answer here. So listen to this. I want to read to you from inside. So, this is, an, this is a Chidah. This is a Rav Chaim Vital. This is very deep. Yitzhak Ovinu was a Gilgal... No, we'll start with, with, with Avram and Sarah. Avram was a Gilgal of Adam. Okay? He had some stuff to fix that Adam did wrong. Sarah was, thank you. Sarah was a Gilgal of Chava. Okay? So, Avram came back as Avram was Adam and Sarah was Chava. He says the following here. The night of Avram was Sarah, he Gilgalim Adam of Chava. They were Gugulim of Adam and Chava. How do you know? It says, Avraham Lispoid. Avraham came to eulogize. 
Vayavo, the, the last letter of Vayavo is an Aleph, the last letter of Abram is a Mem, the last letter of Lisbon is a Dalit, spells Adam. Vayavo is the Gematria, Chava. Okay? So he came, Adam came, to say a Hespid on Chava. Okay. Now, Yitzhak Avinu, Yitzhak Avinu was also a Gilgal of Chava when he was born. He was born with a female Neshama. Okay? Rav Chaim Vital says he was born with a Nishmas Dinekuva. He came to the world with a female Neshama. Now, a female Neshama doesn't mean what you think. It doesn't mean he was weird. A female Neshama means he had a Neshama of Din. It's interesting, but a Nekeva is Din and a man is Rachamim. You think a woman is Rachamim and a man is Din. No. Women are much tougher than men. They, they're, because they're black and white. Din, Din, when, to be Din, to judge, you, 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 you have to be black and white when you come to Din. A man is colorful. He's, he's all over the place. Women are truthful, much more truthful than men. They're black and white. They're much more logical. You'll find they're emotional, but they're also much more logical. It has to make sense. You can't, you can't just buy a house if you don't have the money. You guys like, ah, we'll buy, we'll pay, we'll loan, we'll buy, 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 buy. It'll be good next year, it'll be good in 10 years. She's like, what? Open the bank book. This is what you have. This is what you can spend. No, no, we're going to buy. Next year's going to be better. Nah. Women are grounded. They are. They're grounded. Why? Because they're made from etzem. We're made from dust. Man, Hashem took the dust took a mud pie, put it together, right? And he made a, a man. A woman is taken from the bone of the man. She's etzem. She's solid. She, 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 her, she's grounded. If you can't afford it, don't do it. Men are like, ugh, it doesn't matter. Well, it'll work out, you know? Women are very grounded. When it comes to education, when it comes to anything, they're, they're much more grounded than men. They're also more emotional. So, so he was born, Yitzhak, with an neshama that was din. Okay? He was gvura. It was tough. It was din. So he had a neshama dinukva. Now, if you have a female neshama, then you can't have... If a man has a female neshama, he cannot have children. Because two females cannot have children, and two males cannot have children. So if a woman has a man's neshama, right? If she has a neshama de zuchra, then she'll never have children. So Yitzhak was born with a female neshama. He, could, he was an akar. He could not have children. What happened? So the Chidosh says, and Rav Chaim writes about this, he, so he came to the Akeda. Now it's just very fascinating. It's such a lesson in life. The whole way to the Akeda, the Satan is saying, listen, Aram and Yitzhak, it doesn't make sense what you're doing. Aram, did you have a Nevuah by the Brisbane of Saram? Didn't God come and tell you that you will have a child called Yitzhak and from him will come Klaisro? And then you had another Nevuah that you should kill the kid. If you have two prophecies... And they're, and they're opposite each other, you go by the first one. The first one said that from you is going to come, it's going to come all these children. So the second one seems to be nonsense. So how could you go and kill your child? Amram Avinu said, listen, it was very clear to me. This is what Hashem wants. It's my tenth, tenth test. I'm not listening to you. Then he went to Yitzhak. He says, Yitzhak, how are you letting your father kill you? Hashem said that from you is going to come the nation of Christ. So how you and Yitzhak said, I don't know. He started to waver. And Amram Avinu said, don't talk to the old man. The old man is the Satan. He's not a man. Okay, there's a whole story in the, in the, in the, in the Medrash. Okay. So the Satan was telling him, logically, if you die, then it's over. There's no Klaistrol. And Hashem said, that from you is going to come Klaistrol. So the Satan was working on Yitzhak the whole way there. Now, he came to the Akeda, and he says that Ram Avinu took the knife, and he shechted 
one of the simanim, a, a person, an animal and a person have two pipes. You have a windpipe and you have a food pipe. When you do shechita, you have to cut both pipes, the windpipe and the food pipe. So the, the Rav Chaim Vital says that he cut, Abraham Avinu started to cut, and he cut the food pipe. You cut the windpipe, you're dead. He cut the food pipe. And the Malachim said, what are you doing? We told you to stop. And they, they took Yitzhak's body, and they, and they went to Shemayim, and they brought him into Ganeidin. How do we know this for sure is true? Because later on, when Yaakov comes wearing the jacket of Esav, right, which was the jacket of Nimrod, which he stole, right, which came from Adam in Ganeidin, the, the, the jacket that Hashem made them, Yitzhak says to Yaakov, thinking that he's Esav, I smell your jacket, I smell the smell of Ganeidin. Ask, ask Rashi, how does Yitzchak know what Ganeidin smells like? How would he know? How would he know his jacket smells like Ganeidin? If you were never in Ganeidin, how do you know what Ganeidin smells like? Oh, it's a riot that Yitzchak wasn't Ganeidin. They took him there to fix that, that shechting that happened to him. They took him there to fix. He was there for three years. This means Pasha, Yitzchak comes out in Lesuch Masada. In, in Kabbalah, Lesuch Masada means it means Ganeiden, and he met he met and he met Rivka. Now it says that that this neshama de nukfa, when Avraham Avinu began to shecht him, he got so scared that his soul left him. Yitzchak's soul left him, and his female neshama left him, and they put a male neshama into him. Now he could have children because he had a male neshama. Who got that female neshama? Rivka. Rivka was born by the Akedah. When the neshama left Yitzchak. She was born. She got the female, the female neshama. So Rivka's neshama, right? Rivka's neshama had come from Yitzchak. Yitzchak's neshama was from Chava, together with his mother Sarah. And therefore, if you look at this week's parsha, the minute Rivka walks into the tent of Sarah, what happens? The candles go on. The chalat stays warm. The cloud comes back. And, Yitzch, and, and it says, and he, and now Yitzchak, listen carefully, if you look at the passage, you have to see the Pesukim, it's crazy. It says, now Yitzchak had a Nechama from his mother's death. What was the Nechama? Because really, Rivka was part of Sarah, because Sarah and Yitzchak originally had the same Nechama of Chava. So what happened when he married Rivka, which was his original neshama, she was connected to Sarah Yimeno. So the minute she walked into the tent, whatever happened for Sarah, happened to him. If you look in the Pasuk, it says... Yeah, look at this. He brought her to the tent of Sarah, his mother... He took Rivka, she became his wife. By the way, hey... Torah says he loved her. That's a big word. So for all the people, it says it here. I know, it's different, we don't understand what, what Yitzchak got love, but it says he loved her, right? Then that's all it should say. That he loved her. No, but it says, He was comforted after his mother because really, Rivka had a part of his mother. Because Rivka was from him who was a part of, of, of Chava. So, what happens? Listen to this. Is, this is the lesson. So the Satan is saying the whole time, if you go to the Akedah, then what, then what Hashem promised won't come true. But the truth is, which he knew, that if Yitzchak doesn't go to the Akedah, and he keeps the female neshama, he's never going to have children. So Klai Yisrael can never come from Yitzchak. So the only way, why did Hashem set up 
the whole Akedah Yitzchak, because the only way for Yitzchak to get a new Neshama is to go to the Akedah, the Neshama should leave, and then he'll get a male Neshama, that way he'll be able to have children. So the Satan would say, hey, look, he's going to kill you, right? No, second look, second Vayar. Second look is just the opposite. He knew that if Yitzchak goes to the, to the, to the Akedah, he's going to end up getting a male Neshama, he's going to get a male Neshama, he's going to be able to have children, he's going to be able to have children, and Christ is going to exist. So the Satan waves in front of you, things he says like, you can't do this. It's impossible. It doesn't work out. It's not going to work out. Just the opposite. Just, absolute, just the opposite. But this answers the question. Because Avram Avinu knew that the minute the neshama of Yitzchak left him, that being that it was the neshama of Chava and his mother shared that neshama, that the minute that neshama left him, that 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 Sarah's neshama would leave at the same time because they were both part of the tikkun of Chava. So he came when it says he came right to to give a eulogy. He came because he knew she died without anyone telling him. He knew the minute that that happened that they took Yitzchak to Shemayim. They knew they took they knew they took Sarah to Shemayim because it doesn't make sense the way we learn it. If you knew who Sarah Imenu was, that she saw her husband willing to shecht her son, and because she couldn't believe it, right, her, her neshama went out. Just the opposite. She would have said, I'm with my husband on this. If this is what Hashem wants, is what I want. So it wasn't that, that pircha neshmasa because she saw the situation. She saw that her, that her son's neshama left him. She saw that, that pircha neshmasa, her, her neshama left also, because they were both gilgulim of, of chava. So I finished the shir last night, and this this man comes out. One of my one of my talmidim comes out and he says, "Rebbe, that's the answer." I said, "What are you talking about? What do you mean? What's the answer? What are you saying?" He said, "It answers the question. The question is, it's called kiyat arba, right? Why? Because there were four zivugim. There were four couples." He says, "Rebbe, according to the, according to the chidah, there were three couples because Adam and Chava and Avram and Sarah were one. Adam." Avram and Sarah were both Gilgulim of Adam and Chava. So they're one. Yitzhak and Rivka is two. Yaakov and Leah is three. And Moshe and Tipar is four. According to the Chidah, right, they were the same. And therefore, there was only three. And Moshe Rabbeinu makes four. I said like, wow. I've been giving, the, you know, learning this for a long time. And Hashem sent him this, uh, you know, that answers the question. And the Chidah doesn't answer the question like that. But that's, that, that's what... Um, that's, that's a beautiful tarot. It makes, uh, it makes a lot of sense. All right. So we're going to end this year. We're going to end this year. It's amazing. If you, these Google women. Uh, you know, the, I told someone yesterday, they, they were asking me, like, Red Wallstein, she was, she was an amazing woman, this, uh, you know, Miriam, Miriam, uh, Rosenberg. She's an amazing woman. So, you know, why, why, why? Why, Red Wallstein? Why, why? Why a woman like this? She, she just married off her last child. So now it's like time for the two of them to have time together for the rest of their life. She might have just married that. And she was like, it's a day. used to, why? And I'm like, first of all, don't ask that question. It's not a good question. The Divrei Chaim, I believe it was the Divrei Chaim, the Rebbe, took his Talmidim to get a bracha from a 102-year-old man. And they asked him, why do you, why, what did you do in your life that you deserve to live so long? And he said, I didn't do anything. The Divrei Chaim said, why? Why do you think you live so long? He says, I never asked questions. There are certain questions, girls, if you're going to keep asking the question, Hashem's going to answer the question, but He can't answer it in this world. Because He can't show you the answer. It's a long answer. 
So he has to take you to the next world. You're like, I, I, what do you mean? I'm, I'm 30 years old. I'm 20 years old. I'm 25 years old. Why, uh, why did you take me so young? And Hashem's like, well, you kept asking me this question. You wanted to know the answer. So you know what? You asked me the question. I have to take you up to Shemayim to show you the answer. And that's it. So this man said, I never asked any questions. There's no reason for him to take me to show me any answers. I never ask any questions. That's why I never So I, I told them, you know, and the people were asking me, I said, you know, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. Right? What does that mean? What does that mean? When you, when you start to study anatomy, right? The human body, if you, if you don't study anatomy, you're not becoming a doctor. So you don't know what's going on in that body, right? So you're like, okay, you eat, you go to the bathroom, you sleep, you close your eyes, you walk, you talk. It's very not complex. It's not, you know. But when you start doing human anatomy and you start looking at all the different parts that are going on, you realize there's a million things going on in your brain and nerves and your blood and all this stuff. And the more you start to learn about the body, the more you say like, oh my gosh, there's so much more I need to learn. So the, the more a person understand, looks at this world, the more you understand how complex it is, the more you realize, I don't know anything. When you come to the conclusion you don't know anything, you don't have questions. No questions. I don't know anything. I don't know how Hashem runs the world. I don't know tikkunim, gigulim. I don't know any of this stuff. And therefore, I don't ask questions. Because the truth is, for me to get the answer, it, it gets, it, the more you know, the more you see in the world, the more complex the world is, the more you realize, I don't know anything. Uh, you know, what's anything with weather? You know, you know we're not, we're not, we don't know the weather. People who study the weather are the winds and the heat and the sun and out of the west and out of the north and the condensation and, and mist and what, ah, you realize, oh my gosh, I don't know nothing. But us, we know, okay, tomorrow cloudy, uh, 20% chance of rain, you know, sunrise, sunset, goodbye, have a good day. The more a person learns, the less questions he has. Because he realizes that, ah, there's so much here. There's so much, there's so much beyond me that he just, just accepts. And, and, and the people who don't learn, who, who don't know anything, right, they, they talk and have questions. The more you learn, the more you realize it's so much going. You learn a, you learn a chidol like this. Um, you learn a chidol like this. And you, ach, Yitzchak, it was, in, it was in a keva, and a zachar, and it was like the akedem, Gave him the chance. They came instead of killing him. Gave him the chance to have children, and and automatically she died. And the and 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 the lamp went on, and the challah got warm because it was really. He said he was. How do you understand that passing before? But he was. He had an achama, a comfort. He loved her, and he had an, what was the achama from the start? The answer was he had he had he, made, he had his mother back. She 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 had that neshama that he had before that was connected to his mother. So he married sort of part of that neshama. Because the two neshamas are together, so everything everything lit up again. Everything happened again, and he, it's interesting because he calls it Ohel Sara. He took it to Sara's Ohel. He didn't take it to his own Ohel. He took it to Sara's Ohel. So it's, so it's everything connected. So that you know what I mean. So, so the whole Torah, you, all the psukim that you learn, you realize that there's so much underneath this. There's so much going on underneath this. Okay, so I'm going to end with Rifki Menu. This week is the big shiduchim. Big Shiduchim uh, week, right? Rifki Imenu. So there's something very interesting about what happened over there. First of all, there's a, there's a, there's a, I asked a question. You know, when he when he when he came there, he said to Hashem, he sort of was making all kinds of deals. He said to Hashem, "I'm going to come to the water, and I'm going to ask a girl to give me water, and she's going to say, I want to give you water, and I want to give your camels water, right? That's the right girl." So what happened over there? If you look there. It says that he saw her. 
Here, when she's going to say, I'll give you, right? So he saw her, what did he do? She was very beautiful. Right? Basula. Now she was three years old. So why does the Torah have to tell us Basula? Because her father's name was Basuel. He was a terrible man. He, if you wanted to get, he was the, the governor of the province. And if you wanted to get married, you had to be with him first. So none of the girls that got married were, were virgins, were Basulos. He was a terrible man, Basuel. So the Torah tells you over here, with his daughter, right? He didn't do anything to her. She was a Basula. Otherwise, she's three years old. Why are you telling me she's a Basula? The Ishlo Yodda. And a man was never with her. Why would you think yes? Because her father was a low life. Basula was a low life, right? So what does he say here? He, he, she takes down the air and he gives to drink. And what does he do? Kashikilu Hagmalim Lishtois. After the, the, the Gamalim finished drinking, but Yikach he took Nezems of, I get a lot of problems with this, with this Nezems of, because girls always say to me when they have piercings, Riff got piercings. Right? He gave her nose rings. Right? Yeah, yeah, I get this all the time. Yeah, Riff got nose rings, right? So why can't I have a piercing and have a nose ring? So I'm like, in those days, it was accepted, it was different. It wasn't the, it was part of the Kenyan, it was part of the jewelry that they gave them. But today it's not, today it's, 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 a, today it's a style. But anyway, he gave her as himself, he gave them, he gave her two, uh, he gave her bracelets, right? And then he asked her, who are you? So he already gave all the, he gave, he gave the Kedushin, so to say. And then he said, by the way, who are you? She said, I'm the daughter of Basuel, your brother, your uncle, your, your, I'm your cousin, I'm your sixth cousin, right? Oh, perfect, Hashem found my way. What happens if he would have given her all the jewelry and she would have said, I'm a Kanani? He'd ask her for it back, right? So he made a big mistake here. He was so excited. Now, when he repeated it, when he repeated it, he says to them the story, and I met her, and he says, um, I asked her who she is. She told me. And then, here, he, he turns it around. He, he, he changes the truth, right? I asked her who she is. She said she's Bas Mitzuel. Oh, I said, great. And then I gave her the gold. That's not what happened. You gave her the gold, then you asked her who she was. When he repeated the story, he said, I asked her who she was, and when she told me, I gave her the gold. So he changed the whole story. He lied. That's not what happened. So somebody, I asked someone today, how, how, how did he change the story? He said, this is the, the passage that gives Shachanim permission to lie. Because <laughs> Eliezer was the first Shachan. So he lied, so since then, they all lie. Right? But that's not what happened. Rashi says... Rashi says, why he, he turned, he turned around the whole story, right? Shana Haseda. Shari Hutchila Nasam Akak Shal. He gave it to her first, then he asked. El Shaloi is Tavshu Bidvara Vyarma Ech Nosalov Adayan Enafi. He didn't, he didn't want them to ask him, what do you mean, you gave her jewelry and you didn't even know who she was? Because then they would think he's like, what's wrong with you? So he didn't want that to happen. But Lamai says it's a big, it's a, it's a big kasha. Why, you know, why, why, first of all, why did he do that? Let's say she would have been a Kanani. He wouldn't have been able to, why, why did he give her that? I didn't find the answer yet. I just saw the, I asked the question today, whatever it is. But anyway, I want to talk about Rivka for one second. So the question is a very famous question. The question is, she got to the water, and the water came up on its own. When, when Eliezer saw that, wasn't, isn't that like enough? Why do you need a test? He saw that this girl, uh, God did miracles for her. What do you, why, why after you saw the water come up, like, the first girl who gives my camels then gives me Right? Why did you have to give her a test? And, and, and we, we see this, by the way, in all the Imams that the water came up from them, from Moshe Rabbeinu, from Tzipor, all the difference. 
From now on, all the, all the fathers always met their kalas where? By the water. Yaakov met Rachel by the water. Moshe met Zipporah by the water. Right? At the well. And it brings down in each place that the water came up from them on its own. It would seem to be a Jewish thing that the water thing comes up on their own. So, the famous Kasha girls, you, you go out with a girl and you see open miracles, right? Right? She, uh, she pours you a cup of, uh, a pitcher of water on the date and the pitcher refills on its own. Uh, you get married. Don't ask no questions. Like, you can ask questions. Is she a tsnua? Does she have good midos? If she poured you water, the thing filled up on its own. She, she, she said, stuff, right? It must be. So he sees this miracle happening that the water's coming up on its own. He's like, okay, now we're going to test her. What's going on over here? And the terence is that a miracle happening doesn't make you a good person. Eliezer wasn't, Eliezer saw miracles all the time by Ramavino. There's a miracle that's not what he was looking for. He was looking for Midos. And Midos have nothing to do with water coming up on its own. What was his test for Midos? What was his test for Midos over here? Well, it was a very brilliant test that he came up with. His test was as follows. I'm going to ask her for water. She has a huge pitcher. I can't drink the whole pitcher. So she's going to take the pitcher. She's going to give me to drink from the water. If she then asks, can I give the camels to drink? Then I know that she has the right midos. Why? Not because she's giving the camels to drink. Because what happens after I drink from that water? You have now a whole pitcher of water that you can't give to another human. When someone drinks from a pitcher of water, you can't give it to someone else. He's got, you know, he may be sick, right? So she can't give it to someone else. She also can't spill it out in front of me because it's like saying you're sick, right? So if she's smart enough to take that water, but you could give that water to animals. A, a man drinks some water, you can give it to animals. If she's smart enough and sensitive enough not to pour it out in front of me, right? Or she's stupid enough to drink from it after I drank from it, I don't want to have anything to do with this person. But if she's smart enough not to drink from it, not to pour it out in front of me because she's sensitive to me, but she's brilliant enough to say, oh, you got camels, let me give the rest of the water to the camels, he said, then she has the midos, that she has the right midos to be married to Yitzhak Avinu. And I was telling my class last night, really, really, the most important thing, I know you say that, but not everyone believes it. The most, I, I personally, this is my opinion, I think you could take any, any girl and any boy, anyone in the world, if the girl has midos and she's not about gaiva and she has achna, she's modest and she, she cares about people, and she has really good midos, and you take a boy who has who has very good midos, you can take any two of them people and marry them, and you'll and they'll and they'll live happily ever after. If you take two people who have midos and you put them together, zivuk shemaya mina shemaya, we don't understand any of that stuff. We don't understand any of that stuff because it's very hard to understand. People get divorced, so it's mina shemayim, right? How do they get married? People die, married for a few years. So it's mina shemayim, then right. So, so, What's been a Shemayim? The first people ask the first Zivug, the second Zivug. I have 10 Zivugim, this Mukubal said. The person has 50 Zivugim, this Mukubal said. I have no Zivug. Don't mess with all that stuff. You don't know what's flying. The bottom line is that if you find a boy that has good Minos, that's not about Gaiva, that's into helping other people, that's, that the other person's always before him, then it's a good Shidduch. I mean, of course, you have to keep Torah and mitzvahs. I'm not saying that. But that is the main thing. The main thing is that he has mitzvahs. He's not always looking in the mirror. Every mirror he goes by to see what he looks like. But he looks in the mirror to see what you look like. 
That's when you know you have the right guy. And that's a very important thing. And we see this from Yitzhak, from, from Eliezer. He saw an open miracle. He saw a three-year-old girl didn't have to bend. The water came to her. It's, it's big as Kriyas Yamsov. It's, it's huge. Right? He's like, nah. That doesn't mean it's for Yitzchak. doesn't mean anything. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. God does miracles. But that she was sensitive not to pour the water out in front of him. He said, that's the one. That's the one. That's the correct one. And I, I didn't see the, the terrace yet. I'm just thinking out loud. And maybe by next week I'll have the terrace. I'm thinking that when he saw the water come up, he also saw Hamidos. He knew that she was the right one. So he didn't have to ask. Then he asked afterwards. But he would never be able to explain that to Lavan and Basuel. They would say, what do you mean? You didn't even know who she was. You didn't even know her name. Don't give me these stories. With me. Right? So he saw that Midah, that she was a, a Balas Chesed. He knew she was the right one. He said, I'll find out her name. She can't be a Knani. She cannot be a Knani. She has to be from Abraham Avino's family. Anyone who's single, well, you, you should find the correct Zivug. Everyone who's married, you should have a good marriage. And the main thing is that a person should always work on their Midos. And for my grandmother, the lesson is, no matter what, what pain you're going through, use that pain for your gain and be makabel the good things in your life. Be makabel the good things in your life the same way you makabel the bad things in your life. And you'll have a lot more good things in your life. Thank you very much. We'll see you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.